you know, I certainly did not grow up seeing openly gay men accomplishing, you know, massive wilderness feats. I'm Regina Beach, and you're listening to Saturn Returns, a podcast about life changes, events, and challenges with a clear before and after. This is the last show of season one. I'm taking a bit of time off from publishing episodes to hike the Camino de Santiago in Spain and collect more stories and interviews. If you like Saturn Returns, please tell a friend, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and rate and review the show. This week, you'll hear adventurer and writer Jake Carr talk about his life, divorce, through hiking the Appalachian Trail, and moving to Alaska. I was born in North Olmsted, Ohio, outside of Cleveland. That's how I know Gina. We've known each other since elementary school, but it wasn't really until high school that we started becoming much closer friends. I went to college at Miami University in Southern Ohio. I majored in theater and psychology. A couple weeks after graduation, I moved to Chicago to pursue a career as a professional actor, and I worked there for about seven years, yeah. Um, I worked in theater. I had agents that I would audition for commercials, print, television stuff. Um, I was a teacher at an acting conservatory. Towards the end of my time in Chicago, I started finally focusing more specifically on my writing. At that time, um, I was working on my first full-length play. I also met my ex-husband in Chicago. I was 23 at the time, and uh, we were ultimately together for six years. We dated for three years, and then there was one year that we were civil unioned before marriage passed, and then two years of you know full marriage. In 2016, I moved to Oakland. Uh, my my ex-husband had been accepted into a PhD program at Berkeley, so we yeah, made the big cross-country move. And something that I was very anxious about at the time, but also completely willing to to make the sacrifice for my for my partner and his education. And unfortunately, not long after I arrived in California, everything in my life uh, completely turned into a nightmare. I found out that my husband had cheated on me in Chicago, that he was actively seeing another person, and that he no longer had any interest in being married to me. So a couple weeks after setting my entire career and life aside to move across the country, he left me. Um, It was the lowest point in my life, and from there, that's when I made a radical and crazy decision to through-hike the Appalachian Trail. And that led me to a summer tour directing in Alaska, which has brought me up to where I am right now, house-sitting for the winter in Fairbanks. I asked Jake to explain how he ended up wintering in Alaska and what his days are like in the last frontier. I'm really enjoying my first winter up here in Alaska. Uh, I came up to the state for the first time just this past summer when I worked as a tour director. Um, we would, I would do land tours between a handful of cities in Alaska and then over in the Yukon um, in Canada. And one of the other first-year tour directors that I did my orientation with, this, this uh, great lady, Leah, she also hiked the Appalachian Trail the same year as me, so we had an immediate connection about that. We started a couple days apart and never met each other once on the trail, which is wild. Um, We were so close. Um, But we became very good friends. She grew up in Fairbanks, which is one of the cities that our tours pass through. It's it's the second biggest city in the state. It's kind of like right in the center of the state. Um, So a couple times while I was on tour with Leah, we were passing through and I got to meet her family that still lives here. Her parents asked me if I would be interested in house-sitting for the winter. And I didn't really have any other plans before – I'm going to be tour directing again this next summer up here, but 
all I wanted to do in between the two seasons was work on writing. And I'm also a gigantic fan of horror movies. So it was not lost on me, the opportunity to have like this house all to myself in this place that is always very dark and very cold to go work on my writing. It's, it's very shining. It's very classic. I'm all about the setup. Um, but it's been a really nice time. Uh, Weather and temperature-wise, it has been a really mild winter here. Like, usually it's in the negative 20s, 30s, 40s, and below for most of the winter, but we've had a lot of days in the positives, and, like, the last couple weeks here at the end of February, beginning of March, have even been in, like, the teens and 20s, which might as well be tropical. Like, people walk around in t-shirts outside. But, you know, it's 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 shocking how quickly you do acclimate to the cold up here. Um I'm used to lake effect winters. Like I said, I'm from Cleveland and Chicago. So we get, even if it's not temperature wise as cold, we have those lake effect winds that just blow like knives and cut right through your clothing. Like it's not windy up here. So even if it is negative 40, for example, it's very cold, but it takes a second for it to like settle into your bone because the wind isn't spitting the cold at you. The dark is a thing too. You know, it's pretty, pretty light now that we're approaching spring, but at the peak of winter, it's only there's only sunlight for between like three and four hours a day between like 10, 30, 11 a.m. And then the sun starts setting again, you know, between like two and three. And that's when it's, you know, at its darkest around a little bit before the winter solstice. The weather, the dark and the cold didn't bother me as much as I, I think that that really gets to some people up here. That wasn't so much an issue. It was more so it took me a second to feel like I had a community of people up here. I know, you know, a couple people that are up here through work th- that I met toward directing this past summer and the homeowners that I'm house sitting for did a really wonderful job of trying to like connect me with people around the city and make sure that I felt like I could form a community up here. But it has been slow going. It's a really small town. People, everyone knows everyone and everyone is very into their smaller social circles. I finally feel like I've kind of broken in with a few people. Not having companionship combined with the dark and the cold did make for kind of a lonely, you know, November and December before I got my feet under me. But I've definitely, I definitely have more activity partners now, and I'm, I'm going out about town doing things. But, you know, there, there's a handful of bars. There's a handful of restaurants. Uh, tons of Thai food. Like, if you like Thai food, Fairbanks is the place for you to be. Um, but outside of Thai food, there's not a lot of uh, food variety. There's a movie theater, which if you know me, is a really big deal. I'm a, I'm, I'm a movie guy. I go once every week or every other week or so. As, as far as work-wise, on top of writing, I've been uh, running a couple after-school theater programs at a few elementary schools around town. Um, yeah, I work with kids between third grade and seventh grade, and it really is awesome to get them some extra art pr- arts programming, and um, they're Title I schools, so they receive government assistance to be able to provide these after-school programs. And I was brought on and given a lot of free reign to design whatever programs I wanted to, uh, so I was having the kids do some script writing, and we've done some improv games and some basic acting things, and you know, on my end, it's always nice to make a little bit of money in the field. Like as a freelance artist, you learn to appreciate making a paycheck in the field, even if it's like in a tangential way. Listen, I'm still paying back those theater school loans, so. Jake recorded his answers from Fairbanks, Alaska. I asked him to talk about his writing. It took me a little bit of time after arriving in Fairbanks to house it for the winter to really get my writing groove underneath me. 
I came up here with this very romantic idea, I think, that I was going to have all the free time and space and lack of commitments in the world, and I was just going to have this massive artistic outpouring, but it just didn't happen. Um, I had a month and a half, more or less, of free time before I started my after-school theater job, and trying to generate anything new, it, it was like pulling teeth. Like, I could get a little bit of editing done on plays that I've already written and that I was just sort of tinkering with, but I was not able to start working on my book until I had a much firmer schedule in place. And once I had my job, I, that gave me a solid three or four hours in the morning to write before I left for work. That was really good and motivating. And when January rolled around, I also had social commitments, and I realized how important having a steady, reliable, fulfilling social life is to energizing my artistic battery. Shockingly, spending a lot of time alone and not engaging a ton, you know, with the larger world was not a time when I was able to feel particularly engaged with my work. This book that I'm working on right now is by far the most substantive writing project I have ever undertaken. Up until this point, my larger projects have been playwriting, and writing dialogue is very, very different from writing, you know, like descriptive prose, or, and I've never written anything autobiographical, so the book will cover the last three years of my life from when I moved out to California up through coming to Alaska and, you know, the divorce and the Appalachian Trail in between, and this is the most I've ever written about myself. Like, the book will cover similar material as my blog, which is all personal writing, but those are sort of more, you know bite-sized windows into things. Looking at my life under a microscope in the context of a whole book, you know, I'm focused on a couple years, but I'm having to always make the decision of what is and isn't essential information to tell right now that the, that the reader needs to know. Like, I have a million little details about my life that I want to put in, but is that all really necessary to get across the point that I need to make? So a lot of it is editing down, which is something that I find with my blog posts too. Like over time, I figured out how to be much more concise and how to say the same thing I'm trying to get at in one or two sentences instead of a paragraph and a half. So it's that same mentality, but now taken and expanded over a much, much broader concept. And as far as playwriting goes, I've always kind of had an ear for dialogue and sort of the naturalistic cadence of dialogue. So I can write an exchange between two characters. I, I could pump out pages of dialogue in, you know, a couple hours. It might not be, you know, the most intricately plotted out piece of writing, but I just have a sense for the way that people interact with each other. But that is not a strength that necessarily, like, directly is translating to, you know, memoir-style writing. Jake keeps a blog at jaketrex.com, which include parts of his trail journal as well as new adventures. I journaled nearly every day on the AT. Here's an excerpt from July 28th. This would have been in Vermont, about four months into my hike with uh, another month and a half left to go. What a stunning sunset I just saw from Prospect Rock. Deeply pink swirls mixed with tufts of black clouds and orange bursts, faded to a rich blue and calm, almost sentimental yellow. The reality is sinking in that nights and sunsets like this will not be my normalized life for long. The drastically increased presence of southbound hikers has also added to the impending sense of finality. The goal is still 500-plus miles away, but its presence grows stronger on my conscience every passing day. It has been good to spend so much time focusing on things that I'm excited for after the hike. 
Some people seem to be avoiding investing too much thought into what happens next. To me, this doesn't feel like a betrayal of my time out here. More so a celebration of my growth and commitment to continuing my momentum so far as tackling life goes. I will miss this ultimate sense of freedom in a practical sense. I just need to make sure that the freedom to explore adventure and the permission to do so continues to fuel my spirit. The flame of my essential me that was flickering in California is burning brighter than ever. Jake's divorce led him away from California to hike the Appalachian Trail. He set out from Georgia March 24, 2017. Getting divorced was the most I've ever felt like the rug was completely ripped out from underneath my life. I loved my husband with all my heart. He was the person I considered to be my best friend. And yeah, we were working on things in our relationship, but things that I thought were very normal for the time. I had no doubt about putting my life into his hands and moving across the country to support his career. I never in a million years would have thought he was capable of just crumpling me up and throwing me into the trash the way that he did. It would have been hard wherever it happened, but factor in that I'm in a city where I know almost no one. The cost of living is outrageous, so we had a million roommates, no personal time. Once I could finally find a job, I was having to work 50 plus hours a week just to barely keep my head above water. I took a 50% pay cut when I came from Chicago, so financially I was drowning. Socially, I had barely any net to catch myself. Here I was having to watch firsthand as my husband started a relationship with another person. Hiking was very much involved in the whole divorce process and sort of the steps leading up to me leaving California and starting the AT. Hiking was the thing about California that I was most excited about. I knew as far as my acting career went, the the cross-country move was going to be a bit of a lateral step, if not steps back. But I'd always wanted to be an outdoorsy person, and I'd never really had like access to the outdoors or to the right people to make it happen. And now I was finally in the Bay Area, and there's just there's like a redwood forest 15 minutes away from my apartment in Oakland. It was like having this incredible diversity of trails just totally changed my perspective. As soon as I got to California, I started hiking regularly with my husband and some other friends, one of whom was the person person that he was starting to have a an emotional and or physical affair behind my back but at the time he knew that that physical affection and that love and that trust that was a far more valuable currency to me than any sort of sex and I was completely cut out of the equation in favor of this other person so the three of us actually went hiking together quite a bit before I you know pieced together what was going on and I, I think in my husband's brain he figured I would become friends with this person so once I found out about you know their illicit relationship, I would totally be on board with it. But I mean, that's just insane. My partner and I had had conversations about having a non-traditional marriage, having a non-monogamous relationship. And I'm very much on board with that conversation. And I'm on board with it now more than I ever was. But the thing is, is like, even if you have a non-traditional relationship, there are still boundaries. There are still rules that you set with your partner about how you're going to treat each other and what truths you are going to share and what you're going to share with other people. And you can still violate all of those boundaries. You know, my partner wanted to sprint to the end of the, you know, he wanted to sprint to the finish line and get to the point where his relationship looked exactly like he wanted it to. He just didn't want to have the hard conversations about doing it alongside me. So I just got dragged along. 
I started noticing this thing happening where my partner was just cutting me out of his life. He wouldn't introduce me to any of the people in his PhD program, even though we talked about them all the time. I wasn't allowed to meet them. And then particularly with hiking, I was starting to notice that in group settings, like in social situations, my partner would talk about the hikes that he went on with this other guy. He'd say, oh yeah, the two of us go hiking every weekend. Those were hikes that I was on too. It's like he was actively erasing me from my own life and he knew how much hiking meant to me and he knew how much he knew that this was the thing I was most looking forward to about coming out to California so the fact that he was tainting it and stealing it away from me really hit me in the gut the day after he left me the following morning two friends my dearest friends Nora and Simon they took the mornings off of work to go on a hike with me you know I was completely obliterated Um, I don't know if another tear could have squeezed its way out of my body And it was like this thing of, you can take everything away from my life. You can emotionally decimate me, but you will not steal hiking away from me. This is my thing and you you can't have it. So the day after he left me, I went hiking and that became my therapy moving through divorce. Um, it was something that I looked forward to every week, even when I otherwise could barely focus on anything, barely function enough to make myself a meal. I always knew that there was a hike coming up on the weekend. I started six mile solo hikes, then maybe going to seven miles, then maybe looking up a bit more of a challenging elevation change. But it really was just slowly stepping myself into this world, seeing what I was capable of, seeing how I could navigate maps and stuff. I have zero internal compass. So, you know, part of it was just acclimating myself, feeling comfortable outdoors. And so a couple months after he left me, I was still feeling totally lost, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I was sitting on the back porch of my apartment and where I had a lot of conversations with friends from around the country. Those neighbors to that apartment know every single detail about my life at this point. I was on the back porch talking to Gina, actually, and Gina offhandedly mentioned that, well, you could hike the Appalachian Trail. You don't have anything else on the docket right now. And I took it almost like as a joke at first, but then I was like, well, what is the Appalachian Trail? And I typed some searches into Google. It was one search led to another search, led to my entire search history filling up with through-hiking things, and And this was approaching the end of 2016. I realized if I didn't want to stay in California, I was not ready to go back to Chicago. Now would be the perfect opportunity to do something like this. My professional life was already set on hold. I didn't owe any personal commitments, you know, to anyone anywhere else in the country. Yeah, I decided to pull the trigger. It was getting to be the year end of 2016 when REI was going to be having all of its clearance sales and there were Black Friday sales and all those kind of things. I owned none of the gear, not a single piece of it, and I'd never used most of it before. Like, I'd never filtered water. I'd only set up a tent once or twice in my entire life, and that was with other people's assistance. So I had just a lot of gear know-how to get down and a lot of mental preparation to feel like I was capable of sustaining myself for months with my own inner drive. Yeah, committing to the hike was the best decision that I possibly could have made at that point. It gave me something to look forward to, gave me a way for my life to continue going on and my story to continue being written. At first, divorce felt like it was the end of an era, but I started seeing it as the beginning of something huge and new. I asked Jake about his experience as a gay man through hiking. Being an openly gay man on the Appalachian Trail was a very important thing for me from the get-go. I first came out of the closet when I was 18, my freshman year of college, and I know a lot of people's coming out journeys 
take place over time and happen in waves, but I really just decided to rip the Band-Aid off and do it all at once. I was thoroughly through living somebody else's circumstances at that point, so told all my family and friends within a couple weeks and vowed to myself to live as authentically as possible for the rest of my life. Of all the incredible things about thru-hiking and the thru-hiking community, diversity is not one of them. Of the hundreds of people I met on trail, I would say about 80, 70 to 80% were men. I can count on one hand the number of hikers of color I met, and maybe two hands the number of queer hikers. It is a very straight, white, male, financially privileged world out there. And I don't mean that as a slam, it's, it's just true. I wish I could have walked away from the experience hearing a, I guess, greater swath of what motivations brought people out here, particularly in, from populations that don't see themselves historically represented in the outdoors. When you don't see yourself represented in something, you start to form a lack of imagination around it, and I started to think that this was a space that I didn't belong in, which is of course ridiculous and of course, you know, a self-generated belief, but it's based on what evidence I saw in the world around me. So yeah, being very open about who I was and why I was out there was hugely important to me. Everybody shares what's going on in their life, where they came from. People ask you, you know, what brought you to the trail? And for me, my divorce was so wrapped up in all of that, that it tended to come up in conversation a lot. And there were only a couple times that I felt like I really had to bite my tongue because I was unsure if I was entering into an unsafe conversation out there. And you're in the middle of nowhere. You don't always know these people and you don't trust that all the other people sitting around the campfire are going to have your back if something does go down. So yeah, there were unfortunately a couple tongue-biting moments, which I hate doing. While I wouldn't say that I felt unsafe, there were definitely times when I was spoken down to. People would say things that I think they thought were compliments, something along the lines of, well, you should feel really proud of, of yourself for doing this. There's no gay people out here, so that means gay people can't do this, so, you know, good for you, you did it. And again, it, it's phrased like a compliment, but what you're really saying is that inherently, gay people are weaker and less capable, so look at me being able to put one foot in front of the other. You know, what will they come up with next? So more so than feeling, you know, discriminated against, it was feeling underestimated. I found myself acclimating a lot more quickly to the general backpacking community than I did to the sort of frat boy party culture that exists on the trail, and it can be a very alpha male bro dude situation. Like, I went to a very fratty college, so I have a sense of this kind of guy, and I really wasn't expecting it to be as full force out there, but there were times when it really was just like nails on a chalkboard. Guys that were just constantly getting into competitions with each other and doing, you know, measuring their dicks, beating their chests. Oh, well, I hike this fast. Well, I hike this far. Well, my pack weighs this little. Well, I get my tent set up this way. Well, you should be filtering water this way. Why are you eating that? You should be doing this. Just these guys that feel like they have the, the key of information and how lucky you are that they are willing to bestow it upon you. Give me a break. 
you know, if I have a question, I will ask. And I gave myself permission to ask as many questions as I needed, and I did. I sort of wish I would kept a video or photo series of every time a woman rolled her eyes when a guy came up to her and mansplained how she was supposed to be hiking. There's a huge difference between offering advice and inserting yourself into a conversation that you weren't part of so that you can railroad your opinions and your perspective into it. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> as I look forward to a Pacific Crest thru-hike, in the coming years, that sort of toxic masculine culture and the casual sexism, homophobia, racism, ableism, blindness to privilege, all that stuff that comes along with it, those are the things that I look forward to least about the hike, even less so than the blisters. It seems to me that the Appalachian Trail heals people, and I wanted to know if it had healed Jake. One of the coolest things for me about the Appalachian Trail is that Everybody hikes the same miles, but the internal experience is so personal and specific to each hiker. You know, a lot of people are coming at some point of transition, whether it's retirement, finishing college, loss of a loved one, divorce, like whatever it is, everybody's looking for something different. It's both a universal experience and so unique. For me, the trail became very much about healing, and I feel like I healed more in that five and a half months than I would have in in I don't even know how many years in my regular life where you're also dealing with just the day-to-day -day realities that keep you from processing. Your work schedules, traffic, bills, emails, all that stuff. It can really block you from moving forward. I know that the prospect of being alone with your thoughts for months on end is like a nightmare for a lot of people. And at some points in my life, I wouldn't want that either. But it was exactly what I needed. I came at that relationship like a CSI detective, like from every single angle that I possibly could and came upon a lot of things that clicked puzzle pieces into place that made, you know, the overall picture of my relationship make sense. I was sorting out a lot of things that felt like that I found out to be lies, trying to piece together what was and wasn't true. I got to do a lot of thinking about who forgiveness is for and how forgiveness is an act that will free me of a lot of weight that I was carrying around of, of the hurt and the betrayal and the disappointment and feeling like a failure and all that stuff. Like I, I needed to let the baggage go. I will always consider coming out and through hiking the trail to be the two biggest gifts that I've ever given myself. One of the biggest parts of that sort of healing experience that I've tried to take with me into my regular life has been the idea of self-talk. Like, how do I treat myself when I'm challenged, when I'm going through a rough time? I have a tendency to be really judgmental of myself and impatient and beat myself up when things don't go perfectly, but that just holds you back. It became very clear to me early on that if I was going to finish this hike, it was only going to happen if I was my own cheerleader, pumping myself up every step of the way especially when it was hard. You know, it's, it's not hard to motivate yourself to keep moving on a beautiful day where you're walking along like a ridge line in the sun. That's not what the hike, that's not when you're really testing yourself out there. I think to these days, you know, where it's been raining for days and everything hurts and your feet are one gigantic swollen blister, you plan to hike for 10 miles, but you have to stop at the five mile mark or whatever it is. There are so many times in life when I would just beat myself up for not reaching this arbitrary goal set at some arbitrary time, but rather, you know, taking that as an opportunity to speak to myself with love and care and pride and acceptance and tenderness. 
which is not how I usually move through my life. Just literally saying either out loud to myself if no one was around or in my head or out loud when there were people around that I didn't see who were hearing every single thing that I was saying. But I would just say, dude, every single step you took today hurts and you made it five miles. That is such a, an amazing accomplishment and you've been doing it for months and you have, you know, months to go. Go you, you are incredible. Move as slow as you need. Rest as much as you want. Like you are a hero. Yay me. Man, I'm in so much pain right now. You've been in pain before. You've lived through worse. Keep going. That sort of positive self-talk mantra is something that I think has brought me a lot of happiness and brought me a lot of peace over the last couple years, even after the trail. I asked Jake, how do you define and think about your life before and after? Before I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail, I genuinely had this notion that adventure was something for other people. Like, I could follow social media accounts or watch videos on YouTube, but all of that crazy stuff, like, that wasn't for me. It's not as though I hadn't done other big things in my life, like big accomplishments that I was proud of, but in some way it's like my brain wasn't programmed to think quite so big. Then I did it. I started with almost no experience and at no point in time did I consider quitting. Like it was the most challenging thing I had ever tackled and, and accomplished. It was so doable. All it took was the commitment of saying, I am going to do this and then one step at a time. It's kind of on the nose, but literally one step at a time. Part of this was thinking that going off on a trip or adventure like this was somehow taking time off from the rest of my life. And yes, you may need to put other things on hold. You can't take time off from your life in this way. This is your life. You're living your life regardless of where you are and what you're doing. This isn't some extra special thing. I'm of you know the firm believer that you get one life and what you do with it is what you do with it and I just have a permanently different understanding of worthwhile ways like valuable ways that I can spend my time that aren't their traditional sense of time spent. I don't think I would be in Alaska if I hadn't hiked the trail. The tour directing job that I finally applied to and started last summer is something that I heard about for a decade. A friend of mine did it a long time ago, and she loved it, and she has been telling me for years that I would be a great fit for the job and that I would really enjoy it and all of these things. And again, even though I knew somebody, a very close friend who did it, it just seemed like going to Alaska for four months, like I'll have to take time off from my career in Chicago. And I just, I, I don't know. That seems like a lot to figure out, but it's so doable. And the AT made me realize what an achievable goal it was. So I finally applied and I finally got the job. I love the job. And the job has led me to this house sitting opportunity, which is giving me the opportunity to write about the trail and to like, you know, explore my experience and how my relationship inspired this, th this whole new chapter of my life. And I wouldn't be here in this house with this abundance of creative resources to work from without this experience. Before I left for the trail, I was of the firm belief that given the choice, I would not do my relationship again. If I could flash back in time and know how, knowing how it all ended, even though so much of it was this beautiful love story, 
would I go for it again? And I felt very much, absolutely not. But by the end of the hike, I realized I never would have done the trail if life hadn't given me such a swift kick in the ass. And the AT was by far my peak moment, my peak experience. It was my everything. It gave meaning to the pain. It made me realize that, you know, I had to live through that because it lined me up for this and it brought me to the gates of this. And I wouldn't trade where I am in my life right now for anything in the world, which if, you know, if you had told me that a couple years ago, within the month of my husband leaving me when I could truly barely get out of bed, I'm smiling a lot right now. I finished the same person that I started and also everything is different. I'm Regina Beach, and you've been listening to Saturn Returns. Thanks to Jake for sharing his story, and thanks to you for listening. If you like what you hear, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or at reginagbeach.com. Click on the link for Saturn Returns. You can also like and comment on the show at facebook.com slash Saturn Returns Podcast. See you next time.